People of the internet, welcome to a brand new episode of the Light Podcast. And as always, I'm joined by my brother, the big John L. John, what's good, man? Where you at, man? What's going on, Scott? How you doing today, bro? Always good. Always good. Especially when we sit down in front of these mics, man. I mean, um, you know, we made a promise to ourselves, man, to be more prolific with the uh, with the episode releases. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hold myself accountable for that, man. But um, I don't know, man. We sat... And talked about what the next, you know, what the next couple of couple of episodes would look like, what that strategy would look like, man. And um, I think, I think the plan is a good one, man. I, uh, I think this is the episode that that you've been asking for for a long time, man. So I'm really happy to be able to sit down and you know, get this done, man. Why don't you introduce the topic for, you know, for the audience, just so you know, just so everyone's clear. Sure, no problem. So I want to introduce the topic this way, Scott, because you know, I was I was raised by some pretty wise individuals. And one of the things they always taught me is when you want to learn something, the first thing you got to do is ask a question. Mm -hmm. Because the more questions that you're capable of asking, the more answers you can find out. And when you're asking your questions, ask pertinent questions to the root of what you're trying to figure out. So... I want to start with a question today, Scott. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. The word reparations, when you hear that word, what does it mean to you? Okay, so I'll be honest. I'll be 100% 100 with you, man. When you when you brought this up with me offline, first thing I did, of course, is like anybody else would do, man. I brought up my phone, jumped to my laptop, went to Google, typed in reparations. You know what I mean? Even though I know what it is, my mother was very, very Afrocentric. She was very present, you know what I mean, as far as making sure that we understood the knowledge and all of that. But I wanted to make sure that I truly understood where he was coming from with it, make sure there was nothing else going on that pertains to that topic. And, you know, it is, you know, what exactly what I thought it was, man. It's, it's getting, getting back what's due for a specific demographic, and, and, and I'm sure what you meant in, as far as this conversation was the black community, getting back what's due, you know, um, for what our, our generation and for what our, our ancestors went through right. to get here to the United States. So okay. getting- well let, me, well, let me cut you off right there before you get too deep. Okay. Let me cut you off right there before you get too deep. All right. Because I, I could sense where you were going and I didn't want you to get to that point just yet. Okay. And here's the reason why, because again, for us to have a conversation, we must first meet people at where they are and educate them on the topic. Uh-huh. You, you follow what I'm saying? Cause we can talk about astrophysics, you know, we can talk about the cosmos, but if somebody doesn't understand what the cosmos even is, then they're not going to be able to, you know, understand and comprehend our conversation. Indeed. So, Again, I'm always, I was taught, always go to the root. So the first thing I, I did, um, and like you, raising a pretty Afrocentric household, first thing I did was, like you said, grab my phone, jumped on Google, you know, and I looked up the word reparation, but then I also looked up the etymology of the word. One of the things that I've learned over my years is all because you think you know what a word means doesn't necessarily mean that 
you understand the full impact of that word. Agreed. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I started this a couple years ago. I started looking up the etymologies of words. Just it just started as a natural progression. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. To let everybody know Scott's been poking the bear, mm -hmm. and he's been trying to get me to poke the bear to write a book, and I'm I'm slowly getting there. But anyway, so this is part of that. This is part of the process I went through with that. So when I looked up the etymology of the word reparations, of course it's Latin. Everything comes from Latin, and it is uh, it means repair. And it means make ready again. All right? So you take your car into the shop. You take something to get repaired. When you bring it out of the shop, Scott, what do you expect of that vehicle? I expect it to work. Up, to my, it to, be, up to my right. expectations, right. Up to your expectations and fixed back to the way it was, right? That's right. Repaired, right? That's correct. You want it repaired. So... When understanding the word reparations, and then it, you know, it went to French, and then it went to English, and that's where we got the word repair. Now, again, the the late Latin word, I'm not going to try to pronounce it because it ain't going to make sense. <laughs> mm -hmm. So then, from there, to understand that we're that the word means to repair, it means to fix something that was broken, fix something that was out of line. So then, when you go to the modern day definition of the word reparations, it means what you said, Scott, to make amends for a wrong that has been done by paying money to otherwise helping those who have been wronged. So we have two understandings of the word reparations. One, it means to repair, to make whole again. Right. The That's the first part. That's the repair part. The shun, the T-I-O-N, gives it action. And it's telling you what that word should do that follows the T-I-O-N. And it's saying in repairing, you should make an amend for the wrong one has done by paying money to or otherwise helping those who have been wronged. Some sentiments, some synonyms, restitution, which we'll get to in a second, redress, compensation, recompense, repayment, atone, and there's a lot of other stuff. But please put a pin in that word restitution. So I don't want to monopolize the mic, so I want to take a break on this from at this point, and I want us to discuss what, we've, what I've talked about so far and now put it into the context of what you think the word reparations means. So I'll re-ask my question. Mm -hmm. What does the word reparations mean? Well, I think the, for me, the best way to answer that question is to tell you what it means to me and, you know, to, to my family, you know, to, to my ancestors is, you know, to make good on the harm, to make good on, you know, the evil that was done to me and my people, which would include you and, and, you know, all the other black families that are here in the United States um, do the circumstances beyond their control. You know what I mean? And love it. Love it. And, you know, um, you know, if, you know, not intending to make this, you know, uh, a history lesson, I think we're all well aware of the societal impacts, you know, starting, you know, from the 1600s or, you know, whenever we appeared on this, on this continent to where we are today. Correct. You know, the playing field is definitely not level. You see what I'm saying? And it and right. it and it, it it hasn't 
it never was level. I don't think the system is designed for it to be level. And I can, you know, we can present hundreds, maybe thousands of circumstances where, you know, that sad reality rears its ugly head, you know? Um, so to me, reparations means a lot more than 40 acres and a mule. Preach. You know what I mean? It, it means, you know, a lot more than just, you know, giving me a check. You know what I mean? It means, you know, making, you know, you know, the ability for me, my family, which would include my children who are also, you know, black like me, giving, making sure that they've got the same opportunities as, you know, other children, other, other young people their age that don't look like them, that have, you know, maybe a slight or maybe a, a large, a, a, a bigger advantage to accomplish the same thing. You know what I mean? Got you. So. Got you. And, uh, you know, it, there, there have been a lot of instances of what you're talking about, Scott, mm -hmm. that not only the U.S. has entered into agreements with, but other countries as well. And like you said, we could talk about numerous situations where reparations were paid to individuals. Again, to me, I want the repair to be done. Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily concerned with, and, and please understand what I'm saying, I'm not necessarily, you know, when, let me back up. Okay. When a, youth, when a lot of people talk about reparations today, a lot of people want to assign a dollar value to it. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm not attempting to assign a dollar value to reparations because again, my focus is going back to the root of the word, which is to repair. So if you're going to repair something, the first thing you got to do is do what? A diagnostic text to see what is actually broken. What is actually broken? So we can talk about systematic racism. So we can go through all those steps for systematic racism, institutionalized racism. We can go through all Jim, every, we can go through all those steps. And to me, that is where the solutions lie. It's not in, in to me, it's not in the money. And I'm not saying it's in the money to you because I know it's not, but to me, I'm speaking more so towards our greater audience. It's not in the money. Mm-hmm. Because to repair, so what what did we look like prior to slavery? So I want to answer that question by telling you a small story, right? So I do a lot of traveling in my job, a lot. And so I spent, you know, the better part of about two years in Africa, right? And so I started off in northern Africa, which if you've never been, is mostly Arab. It's got an Arab feel to it, right? You know, the people, you know, they're, you know, they... They're very tribal, you know what I mean? They, they, they look, they don't look black. You know what I'm saying? I mean, um, if you go to Kenya, if you go to Ethiopia, that's where, you know, they look more like what you would expect. You know what I mean? If, if you were to travel to Africa, right? So very dark skin, you know. Right. Um, and so we walk into the classroom and my expectation when I walked into the classroom was to feel welcome, right? To feel home, you know what I'm saying? And I didn't feel that way. I didn't feel that way because the Africans that I was there to teach, the Africans that I was there with knew that I was quote unquote lost. You know what I mean? I didn't know I was lost. And what, what that meant by that was, I don't know where my roots are. 
talk about it. You know what I'm saying? And it's by no fault of my own, my ancestors were brought to the United States, you know, through, you know, circumstances beyond their control at the time. But the Africans, you know, in Kenya that I was working with knew very well our history, you know what I mean? And so, you know, they knew that I, when I say I, I'm talking about people like me here in the United States were very confused as to where right, they came the from. universal I, right. got you. So obviously my history didn't start in the mid 1600s when those first ships docked here in the United States carrying Africans from Africa, you know what I mean? Um, our history started there at that continent and I was able to do the ancestry DNA. I went online, I did that, my sister and I, and you know, my ancestors came from Nigeria and I've got no idea who they are or where they come from. If I were to go back to Nigeria and try to find them, I wouldn't even know who to ask, you know what I mean? And that's, to them, to them that is unacceptable. You know, 150 percent unacceptable. Yeah, to them, they've got no frame of res They've got no frame of reference as to what mm -hmm. that is. Yep. And so, in talking to them at, at lunchtime and at breaks and things like that, those guys they can go back hundreds of years and point to their ancestors and point to their ancestral lands and say, "This is where I'm from. This is what my ancestor's name was. This is where he came from." And he said to me, "You can't do that, can you?" You can only go back a hundred or so years, and to them that was beyond sad. You know what I mean? And so, just for that example, if I could use that example out of hundreds that we could talk about on this show, a dollar amount. If I were to apply a dollar amount, you know, to a rep, you know, to reparation, I don't think you could possibly begin to do that. You exactly. know what I'm saying? Exactly. So, and I think it's a fool's errand to attempt it. Yeah. I think right now these politicians are all out there talking about reparations and things of that nature. And I think that's why the conversation doesn't get off the ground. Because mm -hmm. from one side of the fence, like, how can you possibly put a dollar value on destroying the lineage of an entire culture for easily 700 years? To write, to fix, to repair is going to take a long time. Right. And you cannot sit there and say, in the repair, and here's, and here's where I think a lot of people miss the point. Going back to taking your car into the shop. Are you driving your car while it's in the shop? Scott? No, you're not. You're not. It, it has to be put into a holding pattern until it is fixed, correct? That's correct. And you, so in society, you can't put a person into a holding pattern. So therefore, the, the repair has to happen on the fly. Kind of like um, when they do the refueling of. F-18s in the air, right? Right. Uh -huh. the, because they, because because it can't land, they got to do it in the air. So you got to do it on the fly. So that's the same situation here. And, and to repair, like you said, you first have to take that person, theoretically, mm -hmm. and reattach them back to their root. But what if you can't? There. You have to go as far back as you possibly can, mm -hmm. because in the only way to repair mm -hmm. is to understand what it is you're working on. Yeah. If you bring me, if I'm a freaking 
Ford mechanic and you bring me a Mercedes, I got to learn about Mercedes. I just can't use my Ford technology. I got to pick up a book about Mercedes. And then I got to not only, I can't pick up, if you bring me a 2001 Mercedes, I can't pick up a 2019 manual. Mm-hmm. I got to go back to the 2001 manual. Yeah. I have to go back to when it was first introduced, when it was first made. I got to repair it to that quality. So as far back as as that information, because like you said, you don't know you don't know where you came from to understand who you should be. So how can you be repaired? That's a question. Yeah. Who are you being repaired? What what state are you being repaired to? And I think that was kind of where they were coming from. They was they were very confused and very interested in my in my opinion as to as to who I thought I was. I mean, they they even said to me, you know, you you're one of the lost boys. You know what I mean? And I was kind of taken aback because I was expecting to be embraced. You know what I'm saying? And I guess in some ways I was just not how I was expecting to be. You know right. what I'm saying? Right. So that was an embrace, but it came from a place of teaching. You know what I'm saying? Like, listen, you know, you, we know that you have no idea who you are. You know what I mean? And it's through no fault of your own, but you know, we can't relate to, you know, to you. You see what I'm saying? Just like you can't relate to us. Right. I, I, I had a similar experience when my wife, when uh, my sister was dating, this was many years ago, man, like mm-hmm. in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And long story short, was at a reception with a bunch of people from Africa, a bunch of just straight up Africans. Right. And, I'm, you know, we're having a couple drinks and the conversation, you know, I'm in a circle of about four or five people and the conversation goes to where are you from, where are you from, so on and so forth. And everybody in the circle was answering a place from over in Africa. The question got to me and I felt stupid. Mm-hmm. To say Pittsburgh, there's all black people in here, and they all looked at me like the record just scratched across the, you know what I mean, like a needle just scratched across the record, like yeah, yeah, because they know that <laughs> because they know that you're not from Pittsburgh, <laughs> right? And you know? they and they looked, it was like the awkward silence for about ten seconds, and then the conversation. They before that point, I was part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. After that point. I was not after I said that I was not part of the conversation anymore. So so how does that segue, you know, how does that segue into something that can be digested by the youth here in the United States? Well, I think the I think the first thing that has to be done is the teaching of who the who you are, who you are. Because if you don't know who you are, you can't understand who you're going to become. That's first and foremost. In my son's high school, in the area I live in, um, I'm not bragging or anything like that, just telling the facts. It, the, the, the school system is always in the top five in the country. Why do I say that? I say that to say this. In his high school, African-American history is only a half-year class. So in this abundantly resourceful school system, they're only at his school now at other schools in the school system to be perfectly uh, transparent. African-American history is a full year class. But ironically, the Af- those schools have a predominantly white population. 
whereas the schools in the same school system that have a predominantly minority population, the African-American history class is only a half year. That to me is baffling because that information is needed more in my son's school than mm-hmm. it is needed in a school that doesn't have the same demographic as his. No doubt. So I think the first thing is the education piece. Mm-hmm. You have to take people, and I'm not talking about the ancestral DNA and all that. I mean, you can go down that path, but there's actually been a couple companies that have uh, come about over the last several years since DNA testing has become more prevalent that focus on the African continent. Because um, I'm not trying to do a shameless plug for any company because we don't get paid by anybody. Uh, But one of the most, I'll do it that way, one of the most prevalent DNA companies out there that you see you know, on TV, they don't go, they don't leave, they don't go to Africa. They go all over Europe, but they don't go to Africa. You got to find the right DNA research uh, firms that will actually trace it back to Africa. Okay. And I think that's the first part. Now, for me, I'm fortunate. I have a genealogist in our family. And so my, my last name has a suffix at the end. I'm the fourth. I'm the fourth generation of my family. You know, now, does has she taken it all the way back to Africa? No, she has not. Um, so that's the step that, that's the next step I'm going to do. Because just like you, I want to know exactly as far back as, because I can't repair until I know what it looked like in the beginning. Then I can work to repairing and then move forward to the action after the repair has been done. Got it. And I agree. You know what I mean? I, I saw, you know, I, I spend, you know, I'm, I'm up with the times. You know what I mean? I'm on IG. I'm on Facebook. I'm on social media. I see the, I see, you know, the posts by, you know, game and everything like that where, you know, reparations, joking or not, you know, it definitely has an impact on the youth. But he said something like reparations is 40 acres and a Lamborghini. I think it was game that said that. And now a certain reparations is, you know, something that the youth are now talking about, but obviously they're misguided, right? Reparations is a lot more than 40 acres and a Lamborghini. No doubt. Right? It's, mm-hmm. it's education, right? It's, it's, it's understanding, you know, understanding who, you're, who, you're, who you really are. And it's, you know, everything we've been talking about up to this point, man. So I guess my question for you, back to you is, and I know you're about to speak on it, man, is, you know, where do we start? You know what I mean? Where do we begin? And you kind of talked about that already as far as the education, man, but what's the end game? You know, when, when, do, when do we say, all right, reparations have been delivered and it is now complete? I mean, when does that happen? Well, I think, you know, I'm, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. That's for doggone sure. So what I often do is I just look up information and I take the best from the best and then I make my own decision based upon that. You know, my grandfather taught me that you learn one, of, one or two things from everybody you meet, what to do or what not to do. So when I research any topic, I look at everything that is factual in the research material that I'm putting my hands on. And I, and I push away everything that's opinionated mm-hmm. in the same paper, because some white papers are written with opinions. Because every question starts with, a, with an hypothesis. That's the scientific method. So in order to figure something, so I'm looking at that and I, you know, let's take a look at the history of reparation payments and how those reparation payments were doved out. I think that would be a good model 
once you do the education piece, because giving somebody or providing somebody with a financial um, opportunity is only going to net them as much as they understand about themselves and as much as they understand in order to be to multiply that financial opportunity. You can't multiply anything if you don't know anything, you know. So in 1990, the United States of America paid $1.6 billion to Japanese-Americans for the Japanese internment camps. Rightfully so. Don't have no problem with that. But when you look at how that is broken down, that was broken down to $20,000 for each individual that can prove their bloodline back to the Japanese internment camps. Now, did they get a $20,000 check? No. The way it was doled out was business loans and things of that nature to repair what was broken. Okay. You understand? 1990, um, Australia paid $25 million to Holocaust survivors. You know, and it was pretty much doled out the same exact way. Money was given so they can repair what was broken. So what did, what did the Jewish folks do with that money? They built synagogues. They built um, schools. They, they went into heavily populated Jewish communities and provided business loans. Here's something that a lot of people don't know. In a lot of Jewish communities, the Section 8, uh, they, uh, especially in New York, there's one Jewish community in New York that receives the highest amount of welfare for every community in the state of New York. Hmm. Now, I can keep going to where the U.S. has paid reparations to a lot of different types of people. Well, that's kind of what I was going to bring up. I mean, I don't know if you could define, you know, the reservations out in the Midwest and on the East Coast for, you know, for the Native American population. Would you consider that reparations? Or, you know, would you consider, you know, the benefits that that immigrants get when they come into this country? You know what I mean? Because is that, a, is that, is that reparations also? You know what I mean? Well, well the well, let's 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 take the Indian reservations. I don't view Indian reservations as reparations. And here's the reason why. Those lands were already promised to Native Americans in the treaties that the US broke. Mm-hmm. So you can't I can't borrow five dollars off of you, Scott, and then give you $5 back on your birthday and call it a gift. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> you understand, you understand yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I can't, I can give it back to you on your birthday, mm-hmm. but I can't call it a gift. <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, so the Indian reservation, the Native American reservations to me, to me is not a form of reparations because they were already promised to the Native Americans. First of all, it was already the Native Americans land. So if you want to go again, I'm a I'm a take it to the root type of guy. It was already. How can you give me something that's already mine? I'm gonna walk in your house and say, you know what? I changed the locks, but here are the keys. Mm-hmm. You can have this house. What do you mean? It's already my house. Yeah. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So take it there. But next step, there were treaties that were signed, and those reservations were supposed to be Native American uh, lands, and then the U.S. didn't honor that throughout time, so they had to. Give it back again. Um, uh, with respect to my, uh, 
I want to make sure everybody understands that when I'm saying that you cannot put a dollar figure on it, but now I'm talking about money, I'm just talking about how things have been done. I don't think money is the answer. But if we're going, where can we start from? We have to start from education. And then how does that education get paid for? There's, and this is why I'm bringing up the money, because everything has to be paid for. So if, if we're going to offer all African-Americans the opportunity at free DNA testing um, back to the continent of Africa, as far back to the continent of Africa as it can possibly go, that would be one example of how money is involved, but it's not a money it's not money given to an individual, if you understand what I'm saying. No, I know exactly what you mean. You yeah. know, mm -hmm. to me, that would start the true conversation of reparations. Because, again, you got to start to repair. And if you, you got to know what it looked like in the beginning if you're going to try to repair it. Did you see uh, the statement made by Senator Mitch McConnell regarding reparations? Yes. And... Yes, I did. Go ahead. No, I was, I'm sure you heard it. I was just throwing you a softball. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I wanted you to go first because I feel like I've been monopolizing the mic. And not at all. Out there, let me say this to you. Scott is such a gracious guy. He'll let me just ramble and just go. And I got to pull him in sometimes because, well, I'm because listening. he knows how passionate I am. So I'm listening. What my thing about one thing about about what Mr. McConnell said, and I was deeply offended by it, and I don't think he gives a shit. You know, I don't think anybody in that party gives a shit. I'm not trying to make this about politics, even though it needs to be. But what he said was, you know, he doesn't think reparations apply because he nor nobody he knows in his family had anything to do with, you know, the era of slavery or, you know, what occurred during that time frame to bring you know, Africans here to this country. And I think he is probably, you know, to be the leader of whatever he's the leader of, you know what I'm saying? Senior level senator, and I say that loosely, um, to be that, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, to be that- Cavalier. Numb, cavalier, thank you, John. To be that cavalier, to be that tone deaf regarding the state of minorities here in this country, you know, he's very, that's a very elitist thing to say. You know what I mean? Just because the right. plight of minorities doesn't impact you directly or doesn't impact your family directly doesn't mean it don't exist. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just like me driving down, you know, Main Street USA at the homeless population. And then I get on the mic and I say, John, the homeless problem is solved. Nobody in my family is homeless, so therefore it doesn't exist. And there's homeless people living right outside of your doorstep. You know what I'm saying? I mean... Oh, I definitely know what you're saying. And yeah. to... I couldn't believe he said that. You know what I'm saying? I really could not believe he had... He had that, that came out of his mouth. But I, again, I'm naive, and I said that on previous episodes of TLP. I'm extremely naive, and I don't know why this type of thing shocks me. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, and again, for me, I would... And this is... <laughs> I really wish I... Uh, I could be a, uh, just a person in the room when people like that say stuff because the the typical human reaction is to recoil, you know, and to be offended. Just like you, and, I, and a lot, and that's and that's and that's fine. 
for me, I I would I would have loved for somebody just to ask him a question. And that question would have simply been, well, then why did you vote yes for the U.S. paying Holocaust victims reparations when the U.S. had nothing to do with the Holocaust? That's all. I mean, you can have your, fine, if that's the way you feel, Mitch McConnell, if that's the way you feel, perfect, fine. You're allowed to feel that way. But then why Mm -hmm. did you vote? What did the U.S. have to do with the Holocaust? Absolutely nothing. We had nothing to do with Hitler Mm -hmm. doing what he did. We actually were there trying to prevent it. And again, you know in, I mean? in my so, night, I'm sorry, John, go ahead. My, my, my no, and I just wanted to just, you know, uh, so then why is the U.S. paying billions of dollars? Why is the U.S. actively involved in chasing down Nazi war criminals, freezing bank accounts and all those things when the U.S. had nothing to do with that? And Mitch McConnell, you voted that the U.S. should do that because we're a good friend to Israel. Well, why not be a good friend to your own citizens and vote in the same, let your conscience be the same guide that it was in that Israel situation for Jewish people. What's the difference between the Jewish people and the black people? Not you, Scott, but Mitch McConnell, mm-hmm. but go ahead. No, I, you know, again, in my naivety, man, I, I kind of wish that, you know, our lives and our reality paralleled Hollywood. And I'll give you one movie as an example. What was the name of that movie with Tom Cruise? He was a lawyer and he was, um, you know, it was a court martial and there was a soldier that was killed because he was homosexual. And Jack Nicholson was on the stand. Remember that? What's the name of that movie, man? You know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, no, no. He wasn't. Yo, you're talking about A Few Good Men. A Few Good Men. Right, right. Right. Yeah, But he wasn't killed because he was a homosexual, was he? I thought he was just killed because he was a non-hacker. I don't know. I, he was weak. Yeah. You know, that was uh, that was, uh, you know, a lot of the conversation. I believe one of them. Anyway, he was killed, you yeah. know, on a direct order from the general who was played by Jack Nicholson. Right. And so they're in court. Tom Cruise is, you know, they're meeting, they're discussing their strategy. And Tom Cruise is basically his hands are tied. Right. Because there are rules. There are unspoken rules in the court martial. Right. And one of those unspoken rules is that, you know, in accordance to the movie anyway, was that a general cannot be called to the stand, you know, and he cannot be asked directly if this code red was given. The code red meaning kill this soldier, right? And so Tom Cruise is like, I'm gonna ask, you know, and the risk was he could himself be court-martialed and in prison in the stockade for asking the general that direct question. Remember that scene? Yes, yes, I do. All right. I remember that scene. Yes, I do. And so it was clear. The whole courtroom knew that, that the general gave the code red. The whole courtroom knew it, right? But the whole courtroom also knew that the general wasn't going to admit it. The code red is an unspoken, you know, military, you know, situation that, that you know, shall not be spoken out in public, definitely not in a court-martial situation. And the only way that this general would be convicted is if he openly admitted that he gave the code red under direct questioning by the lawyer, played by Tom Cruise. And so Tom Cruise's assistants were like, hey, don't ask the question. You know, we're all going to go to jail. You can't ask a general that question in the court martial, blah, blah, blah. And so tension is rising, you know, in the, in the case. 
and Tom Cruise says, did you give the order? Did you give the order? Did you give the code red? And the tensions were so high, and the general, his pride was so high, he was like, hell yes, I gave the code red. He was weak. I had to, to preserve, you know, my unit, blah, blah, blah. And he did, right? He, he admitted. He admitted what everybody already knew. He admitted it. You know what I'm saying? I wish, right. I wish that our reality was that, was that simple, was that straightforward, was that black and white. Meaning, I wish that you could ask, like, Mitch McConnell or, or our president, I can't even say his name, if you could say to him, do you like brown people, yes or no? Is the reason why you're not doing this or that is because brown people just are not important to you. Brown people meaning minorities. And if they could come back, if Mitch McConnell could have come back and said, the reason why we gave reparations to, to Jewish people is because we like Jewish people. You know what I mean? We like Israel. And the reason why we're not doing the same thing for people of color is because we just don't like brown people. We don't value you know, their existence as much as we value, you know, others. And I would respect him more if he did that. Well, that's what I was going with. with you. Yeah, that, that was how I was going to go. I would respect it. I would be, I would be more at ease with what's going on. I would be less confused because, again, I'm naive. You know what I mean? I get confused by stuff that I shouldn't be getting confused by. You know what I'm saying? I wish that people would just come out and say what the situation is. I wish Donald Trump would come out and say, look, I just don't like minorities. You know what I'm saying? I wish Mr. McConnell would say, I just don't like minorities, and that's why I were, you know, you can call me dumb, you can call me naive, you can call me, you know, whatever, but, you know, it would just be that much easier to take, I guess, is what I'm getting at. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. And and to me, man, it, it breaks down right along what you just said. You know, and I don't I don't I don't want you to be fake in front of me just for the sake of sounding as if to to make it sound good. Mm-hmm. If it's if it's if it's trash, it's trash. And let's just call it trash. You don't have to call it waste. It's trash. You understand what I'm saying? And for them to sit there and and, and this is the part again, we wanted this show to be about solutions. So right. this is the part where I honestly 150% believe in Changing it from the inside out. And we had Toy Hutchison on our show before on politicking back in the day. She's a senator out of Chicago. And she said what inspired her to get involved in politics was simply that she had the understanding, I can shout on the outside of the door and nobody will hear me. Or I can go inside and I can have a conversation and make the change that I want, that I wanted to shout while I was outside. So uh, to me, that is the solution. And it's starting to happen little by little by little where you're seeing more African-American judges. You're seeing more African, young African-American, young minorities running for public office. And here's the important part that I want people to understand. The solutions can't start on the federal level. They have to start the way our former president, Barack Obama, started, grassroots efforts. Mm -hmm. Because if you start in your community, you know, people, and I know this is going to be a small segue, but just hear me out. People want to talk about police brutality in their communities, but they don't want to elect the, they don't want to go and vote on who the police chief is. 
Well, then don't talk to me about police brutality in your community because you're not willing to change it. If you don't want to vote on a police chief, then shut up about police brutality. If you don't want to uh, vote on the district attorney, then shut up about police walking after police brutality. Uh, incidents occur. If you don't want to vote on who the judges are in your community, then don't talk about how so many injustices are happening are happening in the courtroom. It's just that simple. You may not like the system, but it's the only system that we have. And you can't wake up tomorrow morning and burn the whole system down and start from scratch. And I'll tell everybody this, that's what happens every time somebody new is elected from a different party for the same area, whether it's the federal government, whether it's the state, whether it's local, whether it's the president, a senator, a congressman, it doesn't matter. Because everybody wants to tear down and then try to rebuild versus, okay, what's good here? What can we salvage here? And let's move from that. Yeah. I love this conversation, John. I really, yeah. I knew, I knew that this is where this was headed when you said that you're tired of talking about problems and let's start talking more about solutions. And I think that's yeah. where, that's where the real value for something like, like a podcast. I'm not even talking about our podcast. I'm talking about just podcasts in general, where the general public can release information out to the public for, for consumption. You know what I mean? That where somebody can learn something, you know, about how to make real change in, in, right. their, in their community. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and I applaud, like, you know, I get, I applaud and yet I get aggravated when I see, like, all these Tavis Smiley shows where they're going to different, you know, parts of the country to have these sit-downs with these big panels, Dr. Cornell West and, you know, Minister Louis Farrakhan, and the list goes on and on about all the distinguished people sitting on this panel, right? Mm -hmm. But all they do all day long or for the two days that they're there and they're having all these breakout sessions is talk about problems. What about all the different programs that Dr. Cornell West has instituted? You know, he has like 10 different programs that he's instituted. How about making each one of those programs every time he goes to a different city to do a speaking engagement? How about making, taking his speaking fee and saying, you know what, pay for my travel, but let's go ahead and let's start one of these programs here. You know what I mean? Because everything has to start locally first. This education thing about Again, starting with the repair. Again, you gotta go back to the root. And if we're gonna talk about a solution, we must talk about repairing. Forget about the shut at this point. We must first talk about the repair. How is, what does that look like? And I think in all the inner cities is where that repair has to happen. Because you gotta start where the biggest problems are. Problems versus issues. I know you know the difference, and I know I know the difference. For everybody out there listening, Google what the difference is. If we just keep trying to focus on issues, we're never going to solve problems. Problems are the root. Issues are the happenstance from problems. The problem is people don't know who they are, so you can't repair them.